Today on Blue 58, the Packers are winners over the Bears again, and this win comes with a bonus prize. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here celebrating another Packers win. I feel really good about this one. This was a quality win for the Packers. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily as pretty in some ways as we might have hoped, but hey, it's a cold game, uh, it's a tough opponent. There was a lot on the line for both teams, and the Packers came out on top. We know what happened in this one. The Packers won. Let's talk about a few of the big stories here. I think there are three big stories in this game, three storylines that we have to kind of trace through the game um, and really ended up playing a deciding factor. First, two things that actually affected the outcome, then one that I've seen people talking about already after this game. Um, let's dive right in. Here's here's the three things. First, how the Packers built the lead. Second, how the Packers stopped the Bears until things kind of got going for the Bears at the end. And then uh, whether or not the Packers got too conservative. So let's talk about that first one, how the Packers built their lead. I was pretty pleased, I think, overall with the Packers offense in this one. They bogged down late, to be sure. We'll get to that in a little bit, but they did a few things really well, starting with balance. And you know, if you're a regular listener to this show, uh, that I define balance, I think, a little bit differently than most people. I don't think that balance for a football team is just having the same number of runs and passes. It's not running 10 runs for every 10 passes you run, or every, you know what I'm saying. Um, I think it's the ability instead to be able to do anything effectively at any time. Uh, putting the defense in a situation where anything could be coming their way, having the confidence that you're able to execute anything at any time. Now, the Packers didn't run particularly well in this one, but I thought they stuck with it and got results by finding good matchups. They generally threw pretty well, too, and I'll let Rodgers off the hook a little bit for the passing game's overall sluggish performance, though not entirely. They had a lot of drops in this one, and lest we forget, the Bears are a pretty good defense. The Packers had a tough go in this one, going against the Bears' defense, and they overall did a pretty good job. They also got a lot of players involved on offense, using a lot of different play types and looks. Uh, They had nine different targets, past targets in this game, a lot of different variations out of similar looks. Again, that didn't result in a lot of gaudy stats for the passing game. Uh, But as they pointed out on the broadcast several times throughout this game, uh, had Marquez Valdez-Scantling hung on to that ball in the first play of the game, the stats look a little bit different for the passing effort overall. Taking 75 yards and a touchdown away from your passing total, I mean, that could have a little bit of an effect on your bottom line, to be sure. Then I think what the Packers did really well was stay on schedule. They didn't face a third and long that affected the end of the drive until the second half, midway through the third quarter. Uh, offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett defines third and long for the Packers as, as third and seven or more. So as long as they're in third and six or less, they're feeling pretty good. They don't consider that third and particularly long. The Packers didn't face a third and long that affected the end of the drive until uh, less than seven minutes were left in the third quarter. There was a third and eight that they didn't convert in the first quarter of the game, um, but they went on to convert a fourth down there, scoring the touchdown to Devontae Adams, so that one kind of comes off the books. They didn't face another one of third and seven yards or more until uh, midway through the third quarter or so. So that was that was really excellent. They did that by avoiding negative runs and uh, really keeping Aaron Rodgers relatively clean in this one until a couple... Uh, Poor decisions by Rodgers, I thought, and we'll get to those a little bit later on. Um, 
the the pass rush for Chicago was not all that effective, and that includes Khalil Mack, who the Packers more or less eliminated for the second time this year. That is not that's not too bad. Um, so if Chicago's ultimate goal in trading for Khalil Mack was to knock the Packers off the top of the NFC North, they accomplished it for one season, and they needed to to injure Aaron Rodgers to do it. But overall, if the if the plan was Khalil Mack and a guy in a rookie contract at quarterback, maybe you should try to get a good guy on that rookie contract. I don't know, just a thought there. The pa- the Packers also managed to stop the Bears. Holmes said the Pairs there. Nope, not the Pairs. The Packers stopped the Bears more or less throughout the game until the end. They did that a few different ways as well. First, they limited big plays. That's been the real bugaboo for the Packers defense this year, in addition to just stopping the run in general. But until probably the second half, uh, by and large, the Packers eliminated big plays for the Bears. Uh, until they started to open things up a little bit down the stretch in the second half, they weren't getting a ton of big plays. Uh, it looked to me, at just from watching the broadcast, and I'd be interested to see if this could be confirmed by someone uh, later on, um, it looked to me like the Bears were trying to do the Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay, Jared Goff thing, uh, where they got to the line quickly and then... The coach kind of analyzes the defense from the sideline and radios in before the radio shuts off what his quarterback should do. That looked like what they were trying to accomplish going up tempo really quick. Uh, a couple times there on, on some early drives, it didn't really pay off a whole lot. The Packers also are all, all but eliminated the Bears' run game. 96 yards on 27 attempts for the Bears. You'll live with that. Trubisky averaged 7.3. The announcers uh, mentioned again and again and again how the, the Bears were going to run him more. He only ran like five times, four times, something like that. Um, but And he only had a long of nine, so you'll probably take that most of the time. And then if you're, if you're preventing him from doing a lot of damage with his legs, you're back to doing what the Packers said that they wanted him to do in week one. Just make him play quarterback and see what happens there. And he had enough misfires that I think that proved to be a pretty good, pretty good strategy. Then... They kept the Bears off schedule pretty well as well. So if we're looking at how the Packers managed to avoid third and long situations, the Bears got put in third and long situations uh, fairly frequently, and it ended up ending drives at a fairly regular clip. Three of the Bears' first five drives ended as a result of not being able to convert a third and long play, and that's pretty pretty doggone good too. Now, the Packers are going to get criticized for for bending a little bit down the stretch and even breaking as the Bears managed to move the ball a whole lot. But I think we gotta we got to put that in, in context a little bit. First, uh, the Bears only managed 13 points in this game. And uh, no matter how they come or when they come, that's a, that's a pretty good effort. Secondly, it should not be forgotten um, that the Packers all but converted the Bears' most meaningful play of their only touchdown scoring drive for them. Facing a third and 15 on the Packers' 41-yard line, Mitchell Trubisky scrambles for eight yards, setting up what could be a fourth and seven, but oh no, there's holding on Tremont Williams, a five-yard penalty and a first down for the Bears. And just a half a dozen plays later or so, the Bears are in the end zone. That's a pretty significant caveat to the Bears' most significant drive of the game. And then, of course, there is the is the late game or late late drive where the, the Bears nearly got into the end zone on that lateral or whatever. But if, it, if you need a multiple lateral wacky play to get 
a shot at having a two-point conversion to tie the game, I think you're doing pretty okay. Sure, it wasn't a perfect defensive effort, but again, they held the Bears to 13 points, and they got the win. Sure, you're playing the results a little bit there, but I think by and large, it was a pretty solid defensive effort. Keeping the Bears off schedule, eliminating their run game, and more or less limiting the Bears' big plays keeps you in pretty good position to win, and that's exactly what the Packers did. Now, there's one other storyline here emerging out of this game, whether or not the Packers got too conservative, and we're primarily talking about the fourth quarter here. I want to push back on this narrative just a little bit, but there are a couple plays throughout the game, and in this quarter in particular, that strike me as as bad, and one pops up here. First, though, let's talk about the idea of getting conservative. The Packers were definitely trying to run clock in the second half and in the fourth quarter especially. Should they have been a little bit more aggressive? Yeah, probably. But there are a couple good reasons that they may actually just look a little bit less aggressive than they actually were. First, who are they going to throw to? You want the Packers to be more aggressive. I get that. I understand it. I probably would like that too. But this is an honest question. Who would you have thrown to to get more aggressive in this one? Other than Devontae Adams, Nobody on the Packers with more than one target had a double-digit average per catch yesterday. Sunday. Whenever this is that I'm recording this. I'm bumping out Jay Kumro from that consideration because, yes, 49 yards per target looks pretty great, but that's not a real average. He had one target and it busted into a 49-yard play. My point is, if you're trying to run clock, and the Packers were, you got to keep the clock running. And who are you going to throw the ball to that you feel confident is going to help you keep the ball or keep the clock running. Wasn't Geronimo Allison yesterday or this weekend, it wasn't Alan Lazard. He wasn't super effective, at least according to the box score. And there may be plays where they could have looked to him, yada, 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 all of those things. But the Packers hadn't shown that they could consistently complete enough passes to justify throwing to anybody on the field. And that may even include Devontae Adams. So maybe that's why they were not going with that direction in these drives where they were trying to, to run clock. Secondly, there are some extenuating circumstances here. Two dumb plays wiped out drives for the Packers in the second half, uh, fourth quarter, uh, that may have altered our perception of their offense. Um, on the Packers' 10th drive, their first extended drive of the of the fourth quarter, they're facing a second and 10, and Aaron, Ro- Aaron Jones excuse me, runs for eight yards. But oops, there's a holding penalty on Brian Bulaga, and as we know, Holding penalties all but wipe out your drives. It would have been third and two. Instead, they end up facing a second and 20. That is forever facing the Bears defense, and they end up punting. They get a pick from Dean Lowry a couple plays later and take over at the Bears' 33-yard line. By the way, I know this is a big ask from from Dean Lowry because he's a defensive lineman, but if he catches that ball cleanly, it's probably a touchdown, and his second touchdown in three years on on a huge play. Uh, that would have been really cool. I'm not saying he should have because just to get his hands on that ball at all was an amazing play. But if he caught it clean instead of juggling it, it may have been a touchdown and that would have just been cool to see. Again, not a knock on Dean Lowry because to make that play at all is awesome. Uh, but it, it would have just been cool to see him rumbling down the field for a touchdown again. So uh, Dean Lowry makes that interception. The Packers take over at the Bears 33-yard line. Two plays later, it's third and four from the Bears' 27-yard line, and Aaron Rodgers does the absolutely unacceptable, taking an 11-yard sack, moving them back to the 38-yard line, out of field goal range, out of go-for-it range. That is just awful execution by a guy who should know better. Taken on it on the whole, these plays, along with the others, 
this doesn't look so much like playing too conservative or taking your foot off the gas to me. This just looks like bad offense. And that's something entirely different. That's that's a problem, but it's it's a different sort of problem. Aaron Rodgers also took what amounted to a really bad sack on the Packers' last drive before halftime. He had an intentional grounding penalty that he absolutely should have avoided. Even a sack there might have been a little bit better. Just poor decision-making there. Two clutch plays, two high-leverage plays that could have had a big effect, a big effect down the stretch. But ultimately, and we got to keep circling back to this, the Packers won. We expected this to be a hard-fought game. I expected it to be to be uh, to be tighter than than it was than than eight points. A one-possession game against a, a team that comes in over five hundred is not a bad outcome, and the Packers probably weren't just going to roll up thirty-five points against the Bears. They have a good defense. It was not ideal conditions they're playing on Sunday. This shouldn't have been that big of a surprise to only get twenty-one points. Yeah, they could add more. That MBS play is coming back to mind again and again. But I think you take this one. You take it and you enjoy your 11 wins. So let's talk about what this means for the Packers. First, getting to 11 wins means at the end of this game, the Packers had half the equation they needed to get into the playoffs this weekend. They also needed the Rams to lose. And what happened to the Rams in Dallas today? A 44-21 loss. Yes, the Packers are in the playoffs. I had to throw in that very old Blue 58 sound effect just because it's a lot of fun. It's like the happiest sound effect I own. And there may be opportunities to do a little bit more of stuff like that, adding in a little bit more sound after the new year. But we'll talk about that after the new year as well. But not only are the Packers in the playoffs. had to throw it in one more time. Not only are the Packers in the playoffs, but they are in serious contention for a first round bye and a real shot at the number one overall seed thanks to the 49ers falling on their face against the Atlanta Falcons today. Thanks to that loss, the Packers have a much better shot at getting the two seed and a first round bye, and a real shot at the number one overall seed in the NFC playoffs. To get that, the Packers need one or both of the Seahawks and 49ers to lose next week, and then assuming only one of them lose, the other to lose in their head-to-head game in Week 17. So without working through all of the possible permutations there, here's that in plain English. San Francisco plays Los Angeles next week, and Seattle plays Arizona. I don't think Arizona is going to beat Seattle. So let's just say Los Angeles needs to beat San Francisco next week. So root for the Rams. Then in Week 17, because the Rams or because the 49ers would have lost, they would have to beat Seattle in Week 17 for the Packers to get the number one seed. Oh, and in all of this, the Packers also have to win next week at Minnesota and then beat Detroit in Week 17. So what happens next for the Packers? Well, let's not forget that the Packers are also trying to lock up the NFC North, which would be pretty great. To do that, they need to beat the Vikings first and foremost. The Vikings are 10-4. and They absolutely hammered the Los Angeles Chargers this weekend. The Vikings can win the NFC North, of course, but to do that, they have to beat the Packers, then beat the Bears, and have the Lions beat the Packers. I think the Packers' route to the NFC North Championship looks a little bit more straightforward than that. They just have to beat, it looks like, one of the two, Vikings or Lions, over the next couple weeks, and uh, they will be NFC North champions. But this is going to be tough. 
The Vikings are a very tough football team, and that's something we've been saying ever since we really took stock of what the Packers needed to do over the final few weeks of the season. Not to mention they are playing at Minnesota, not to mention they are playing on Monday night. I'm not a fan of any of these things. Um, don't like it when the Packers play in Minnesota because bad things tend to happen there. Also not a fan of the, the Monday night game so much anymore. I am an old person now, but um, that's not my or that's not the Packers' problem. That is my problem. Uh, it's going to be a tough game, though, and the Packers have a lot, obviously, on the line in this one, which means it's going to be a very exciting game. I am looking forward to it. Late night for me, notwithstanding. A couple random thoughts and observations. First, let's talk about the announcers. I didn't have a huge problem with Kevin Burkhart and Charles Robinson in this one, but man, they were really harping on the fact that this was the 200th game between the Bears and Packers. Yeah, that's cool, but you need more than one piece of trivia coming into a game. And look, we all know that the Packers and Bears have a pretty storied rivalry. You don't have to keep telling us out of each and every single commercial break. Burkhart and Robinson always remind me of, like, say you go to a Buffalo Wild Wings or a sports bar or whatever to watch a, a football game, and it's a game you really want to watch, and you're a passionate fan, you're into it, you know a lot about your team, and then at the next table over, or maybe like two tables over, enough that you, you don't really have that table-to-table connection with them, but you can still hear everything that they're saying, are a couple of guys who are also semi-fans of your team, but they don't really know what you know about them. So everything that you, they say is loud enough that you can hear it and also is like 30 to 40% incorrect. So it's it's nothing you can do anything about directly because they're not necessarily doing anything bad. They're not getting into your space. They're not being loud. They're just constantly being a little bit wrong about everything. And it drives you nuts. And that is that is the announcing experience from this game. Secondly, and this is the last thing I had because, uh, well, it's getting late and we need to, to get off and, and do some, some important things like sleep. It's been a weird weekend here. Um, nothing that, that you need to know about, but it, it's been an, an, an odd weekend in our house for, for humorous reasons. Um, relating to a skunk wandering through our neighborhood, it is as dumb as it sounds. Anyway, Alan Lazard. Uh, played an unusual role for the Packers in this one in the run game. There were two specific plays where he was motioned into kind of an, a wingback, H-back sort of situation and ended up throwing key blocks for Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams. One nice run was was for Jamal Williams and one uh, he paved the way for Aaron Jones' second touchdown. Um I've always been intrigued by Alan Lazard as a blocker, not because I think he will end up at tight end, one day, but because he he's proven that in in some areas he can block close to good enough to at least get considered in that direction. The Packers actually talked to Alan Lazard about potentially playing tight end uh, when he was coming out of Iowa State. That was thought to be uh, his route to the NFL by a lot of people, by a lot of uh, talent evaluators. He's making it as a receiver so far, but he, it was cool to see him show a little bit of that skill set in this one in a real sort of practical way. So. Uh, keep an eye on his run blocking in the future. So I've got for you in this episode. Uh, I do appreciate you taking the time to listen in, and I'm excited uh, to go through these final two weeks of the regular season and into the playoffs with you now officially. That's one question we can knock off our uh, our weekly poll. Don't have to ask whether or not the Packers are going to make the playoffs this year because they have locked up, locked up their spot. Um, if you want to support the show, 
open up your app, whatever you're listening on right now, and leave us a rating and review if that's something you can do in the app of your choice. Um, most of them offer ways to do that now. And if you do that, it does help more people find the show. So consider doing that for us. Short of that, check out the support page at thepowersweep.com. There are a bunch of options there. And, uh, and reach out. Leave us a message on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you would choose to reach out. That's going to help us further the conversation around this wonderful football team that we follow each and every week. And uh, just help us meet your needs in terms of what you're looking for in terms of content. Chances are, if you've got a question, somebody else is thinking the same thing as well. If we can talk through it together, that's going to help us continue our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.